to today's panel where we discuss how to create villains that your players will actually care about. I'm surrounded by my amazing panelists. One of them is having a little bit of technical difficulties, so Stuart will be popping in and out. But for now, let's start with introductions. Hi there, everyone. My name is Abdu. I am also known as DM for Life. I've been running games for a few years now, four or five years. Really absolutely enjoy the hobby. It's a great creative platform for a lot of things. It's just an amazing experience to take people as a DM through all these stories and have them and see them actually, see their characters and enjoy their own stories as, as they tell through the game, tabletop RPGs in general. Hi, my name is Mikhail Malik. I'm known as uh, Mikhail Malik. I've been playing Dungeons and Dragons for a very long time, since third edition. I've been a professional player most of the time, and I've started GMing in the last three or four years. Absolutely love the game. I've got a couple of friends together now, and we're starting uh, a little something that's going to be coming out soon. Love creating villains. <laughs> Hi, my name is Stuart. Um, I've been role-playing since I was about... 13, so like since a, a wee baby, I had no idea what we were doing back then, and then I only really got into it seriously kind of outside of high school, and now I'm currently the Pazo Venture Captain for South Africa, so I run Organized Play for Starfinder and Pathfinder. My primary systems are both of those, but I play pretty much anything that I find enjoyable. Mm-hmm. And for those of you who don't know me, I'm Carla from Dum Dum Die, and I run an all-female, all-awesome D&D 5th edition homebrew podcast and Twitch stream on this channel. I've been playing role-playing games for four years and been GMing for about two and a half. So today's panel is all about villains. The first question that we're going to start with is what do you think, either as a GM or as a player, or as both, makes villains exciting like what makes a villain exciting for you and it doesn't necessarily have to be from a game you've played it could be from you know something that you love about a movie villain that can be translated well the uh, thing that makes villains really exciting in my personal opinion is your first impression of that villain the introduction of the villain it needs to be very powerful it needs to be impactful and your representation as the game master or the dungeon master is really crucial when it comes to, the, to this first impression. You need to be stoic, depending on your villain. You need to uh, really absorb their personality, their ideals. You just need to transform yourself from being their friend into mm-hmm. that villain. And that is, personally, I see is the most important part that makes the villain very exciting and enticing to interact with. That change from we're playing together to be like more ha ha ha. They are the people that I will eventually stand in your way and you have to take them down. <laughs> you gotta be that person. Abdu has been a lot of villains to me in our history together as GM and player and it's and yeah definitely the personalization of the villain is is crucial definitely to to creating that like now it's him he's in the room. But for me as well like the cliche comes to mind that it's, it's someone that you love to hate a villain is someone that understands what the players and what the what the characters are about and kind of pushes their buttons. And it's that character that, that is in conflict with the main player characters. And the more tension that is created, the greater the excitement when experiencing the villain. For me, it's kind of like the same side of a different coin. Yeah, absolutely agreed with the both of you from my side. I also find villains exciting and a lot of the villains I create are this way is villains who don't think of themselves as villains. And this is also sort of true when building evil player characters, is 
if someone truly thought they were evil and really thought they were the, themselves the bad guy, would they continue doing what they're doing? However, if they believe what they're doing is right, however wrong or confused or uh, potentially deranged they are, that's why they would keep continuing to do it because it's you die to be the hero or you live long enough to see yourself become the villain. Yeah, and the that, villain, yeah. there we go, I found it. That for me is a super interesting way to create villains because also when the players have that moment of like, that could be my paladin in like 10 years. That could be me. Um, and I find that quite interesting. So we're going to jump into a chat question. So what villain tropes do you try to avoid? I would uh, try to avoid the pure evil villain, which is the villain I would call is the one who crossed the threshold of morals, the event event horizon, the moral event horizon, they call it, is that that's the kind of villain that there's absolutely no more sympathy from the audience towards them. I will try, I would try to avoid it. It can work, but it really needs to be, that villain needs to be more philosophical in saying, well, I don't really think what I'm doing is bad or actually necessarily sometimes they can. And they say, I know this is bad. I just choose to do it because I prefer it than doing good things. Mm -hmm. It is how the world works. And I don't see a problem with it. I just sometimes they might even enjoy doing even things. It's a lot of the audience, a lot of sections of the audience would might not connect with this kind of villain. Most of the villains that you've, Carla, have uh, presented, uh, they're considered sort of a, the necessary evil villain. It's the uh, tyrant sometimes. It can be a tyrant and imposing taxes because we need to fight these people. But mm -hmm. the PCs don't like the taxes, so they kind of fight him off. And you're just a warmonger. There's also the other villain, which a lot of people also like, is the delusional villain. They really think they're doing something really right for the people. And they're just in their delusions that they're, they're they're doing something right, but that's that's not that's not the case. So these two types really, a lot of the times, kind of connect with that with the audience. But the pure villain, the pure evil, might want to step away from that one. And that's always the thing, right? Is how do we keep our players interested in a big bad for a long period of time, especially if you're running a campaign, or if they just see him in the street that they don't just like let's just murder him now and then it's done. <laughs> How do you keep them connected to that story? And I think when they're pure evil, you're just like, there's no hesitation. Just you kill it now. Just murder <laughs> it with fire. Yeah, there has to be a reason to, to kill them. And like the best kind of villain is you're not 100% sure. Or if you are 100% sure, they're, they're not accessible to you as a player. You know, you can't just walk up to them and start wailing on them and, and kill them straight there. That makes them a thug. It doesn't make them a villain. Those tears of villainy have to build like in video games you always have like the mini boss and then the slightly the bigger boss and then you have the big boss at the end those tiers build anticipation and give you reasons to get to that person you know and i agree with abdul like the pure evil villain is a difficult trope to play and often i find in order to play the pure evil villain you have to be kind of cruel and detached and I feel like that doesn't motivate players. It just makes them feel uncomfortable where you're, you're a character that just tortures things and sacrifices children or something like that, where it becomes like uncomfortable with the players because of your character, your villain character, just being uncomfortably cruel. And that's the trope that I try to avoid is cruelty. That um, speaks a little bit to, A, what your table has agreed on. Cruelties they might be happy to play with. Well, well, not happy, but like, you know, are uh, interested in exploring. And also that's a very good thing to mention as a GM, just generally, not just as a villain, but 
you're still playing with people and it's not like a, a book or a TV series where you're distanced from that villain. You're sitting in that campaign or in that one shot and you're buying into it. And so there is a level of uncomfort that could be found with villains or a place or something that you wouldn't get in a novel and you wouldn't get in maybe a TV series. So it is also to control that and look after your players as well. You mentioned something uh, very interesting. You talked a little bit about novels. Personally, I see a clear difference between a villain in a tabletop RPG and a novel or a TV show or a series. The reason is that the audience and the actors in a tabletop RPG are one. It is mm. your players. Whatever is happening off-scene, we just can't do that in an RPG. And thus, we're kind of limited to the exposure that we can have about our villains. Thus, we need a lot of uh, different messages that we can send or signs about this villain, not necessarily direct confrontation from day one. The players, the protagonists, need to see these signs. We can't just cut to the villains kind of you know, conspiring to take down the kingdom and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> it, does, it doesn't work in an RPG setting. And that's really the main difference I see between a game master writing a villain and a writer writing a villain for a novel. In practice, I'd say it's the same. It's just the presentation to these characters. We're limited in an RPG setting, and we have to focus on that more than when a writer writes for a novel or a TV show. So what tips would you give for that presentation other than let's have a maniacal monologue while the players are tied up and can't leave? It's important to seed the story and sow the seeds of your villain in your story early on. As your players experience the world, as they kind of go on these adventures, there are the effects of the villain present in the story. So they don't necessarily have to see the big bad right up front, but they can see the consequences of the big bad's actions. They can experience the refugees running away from the forest. They can see the corruption in the plant life in the forest. They can see the animals going crazy. There's various ways of like creating anticipation and building up towards this, this big bad at the end just by their actions. And even if it's not directly their actions, just by their presence in the space, you know, so that for me is very important. And if those effects, if those seeds are in direct conflict with what the players want, they're going to want to get rid of that big bad guy. And they're going to hate your villain because what they want is being impeded by these little seeds. As a player in, in a game, what do you think is the most important thing when it comes to a villain and their presentation? You talked about the signs. What about messages? What about the villain interacting? But with a certain obstacle. As Carly, you've mentioned earlier something about uh, how do you kind of protect the villain from not being interacted with immediately. The villain can be a little bit too powerful for the PCs mm. at certain time mm. in the story, which is one obstacle. You, as a player, Mikhail, what do you think is the most important thing when it comes to presenting uh, the villain uh, to you. You touched on it right in the beginning of it, is that kind of dramatic first time you see them. So that first seed is something that, you know, at level one, your characters need to kind of really, that, could, that needs to be a big obstacle for me. Like, that's like the first time you've, you've had to overcome something that this villain has presented you with. But it can also be, the villain doesn't have to be an evil person. The villain can be just someone who is crossing paths with your party and that what they want is in direct conflict with what you want. And as a result is that friction, there's that tension that I spoke about earlier. And the first time that, that friction, those, those two stories come to a head, that could be epic, you know, and that's something that's memorable and that's going to stick with your players because they were blocked. They didn't get to what they wanted to do next. And as a result, now they're sitting there 
thinking about this villain, the more epic and the more kind of entertaining that first moment is, the better the, the villain at the end. My friend Guy from How to Be a Great GM always says characters are built sort of one way and he builds his um, villains and his NPCs a very similar way. And stories is someone wants something very badly and something is preventing them from getting it. If you can just figure out what your adventuring party wants very badly and place someone who wants the opposite thing very badly, that could be a really great collision. Or they want the same thing, and now they're, they're but only, for There it. can be only one. <laughs> oh, villain trope not to be used as a villain. I don't actually know. I can't think of any tropes that I wouldn't use as a, as a GM on my players as a villain. But if there's anything I would shy away from, it's stuff like where it's just outright offensive for the sake of being offensive. Your villain that is, oh, I'll torture children just for the laughs and because I know it offends my players and because I know it upsets my players, or I'll bring in sexual violence. That's mm. the things that I shy away from, or well, I avoid at all costs as a GM. And also as a player, it just makes me uncomfortable. It makes me wonder about what sort of GM I'm playing with. Absolutely agreed. And we mentioned, we discussed a little bit earlier about the pact that you have with your players because Abdu mentioned the players are the audience and the actors. So there's also not a distance between them. You need that consent with your players because it's not just about you. It's about everyone else at the table and everyone else around you. Orca underscore S was asking, why avoid tropes? And you mentioned you don't. So why avoid tropes? Don't they make your special villain stand out even more? Because people have, you know, recognition. I don't feel comfortable with some tropes, so I will avoid them just because as a GM, I don't want to play that. And I mean, you know, you're welcome to play the tropes that you feel comfortable with. But also, as, as Stuart just said, you know, it depends on the consent of your players and on what is okay around the table. There's also a lot of fun in, I don't want to say limiting yourself, but creating kind of boundaries. And then within that, you know, creating a villain that works within those boundaries that's still compelling is not only challenging, it's also a lot of fun. And you'll find that your best villains are the ones that you've kind of limited from being too much. You know, if a villain is too powerful, if a villain is too crazy, too unhinged, it just becomes an extreme something and it just becomes, you know, it just becomes one thing. It becomes a maniacal megalomaniac or whatever. You know, it becomes a power-hungry wizard that just wants to blow things up. You want to find that balance within those boundaries. That's where a compelling and interesting character is. And you need complexity and you need vulnerability on one side with your villain. Your villain needs to have vulnerabilities. They need to have weaknesses. Mm. Otherwise, they're boring and they also need to have power and charisma or some kind of extreme epic abilities that make them the villain and make them stand out from their minions and from their lieutenants i personally think that certain extremes are good but in designing a villain even if they were maniacal you need to find that philosophy within your villain the i'd call it the sanity within the madness Hmm. the good within the bad the logic reason within all the delusion that if you can send that message and have your players absorb that part of your villain then they will connect and there will be some sort of relatability not just to the characters in the game but also to your players if you can find that little link then they will connect it happens a lot with the joker it happens a lot with a lot of different characters uh, thanos many other uh, villains especially in the superhero genre they really focus a lot on the villains themselves more than just the plot 
Shigarath replied to Orca and said, I do think some tropes can help with that. However, I do think that some tropes can feel lazy or just overused. Can you find those sorts of people? Sure, absolutely. I mean, everyone, there are people who are just not great people, right? But they should be rarer. And I think also to add on to that, Shigarath, I think they would also probably be those underlings because they would ride mm. on the coattails of the of the big bad, potentially. Hun Zale says, tropes are nice templates, but you never just copy-paste it. The tropes are there. They're there because they're familiar. Like, there's, there's cultural uh, currency. So your players can understand them. They, they relate to them. But it's when the tropes fall into cliches where it's the villain who's simply the villain because he doesn't like the characters or something bad happened to him and so now he's just going to be evil that's a cliche it's not a trope it's not something that people can relate to because it feels hammy it feels ridiculous and over the top i think that's the difference is what is cliche and what is a trope that people can recognize and as abdu mentioned we don't get to see the cutscenes of the villain right and so it helps give us that sort of a mental jump ahead into mm. who that villain could be, potentially. Absolutely. Yeah. Having mentioned cliches, I think it's interesting, like Neil Gaiman does this a lot in his books, is that he'll take the cliche, he'll take the expectation, and he'll just step slightly to, to the side with it, and he'll make it kind of just off, just that slight change in that cliche, just turning it upside down, looking at that cliche of a villain the other way, makes them a lot more compelling and it's still easy for your players to kind of understand especially in a one shot or like a, a very short game you don't have time for these players to you know get to know your villain and to find out who they are and to experience yeah. the seeds that i spoke about earlier they need to know who they are right away yeah and i think sometimes also villains can grow especially you know if you're planning them for the big bad the best thing i find and it happens to me all the time with my players is you take them to a totally unrelated dungeon. You were like, okay, today's dungeon is, we're just going to, argument's sake, go kill rats in a cellar. Not that we go kill rats in a cellar, but for sake of the discussion. And then they're like, oh, yes, it's because the big bad actually controls the rats. And you were like, they didn't, but they do now. Nothing comes a reality until your players are exposed to it. Yes. Oh, I like that. Nothing becomes a reality until your players are exposed to it. Oh, that's cool. I'm going to highlight that clip. Orca says the ooze of uh, moral ambiguity for villains. And then Gary says a good villain walks the line between outraging your player characters without outraging your players. I like that. There's a question from Boomer1992. <laughs> What's your process to create a villain? Shall we go with you, Stuart, while we have you? So I tend to use a lot of pre-generated villains because I do organized play and I, run, I don't have as much time to build campaigns as much as I would anymore. So I tend to use a lot of pre-generated villains, but what I'll generally do is I will try to take their characters and, like Mikhail said, sidestep what we've got. So if they're the big bad, I'll give them a weakness that the players could appreciate or could understand. I have run with a character where he's a big bad. He's an evil devil worshiper. He's come to this town. He's imposed martial law on it. And it's basically his own little dictatorship. And as the players discover, he's got a fatal, he's got a, a not a fatal, but a brutal drug addiction. And so they have this understanding that maybe he's not necessarily evil because of his own reasons. Maybe there's something else going on with him. So, yeah, I like to give my villains 
a little hook and something that the players can tie into and then they can bite onto and explore further if they want to. But also, if they don't, it doesn't diminish their characters. Process-wise, I think if for a longer game, I like to speak to the players and understand who their characters are and thereby understand myself as the GM what their weaknesses are and what will push their buttons. What is going to get this character, you know, this stocky dwarf who just likes smiting goblins, what's going to get under his skin? And then once I know who my characters are, then I can start for a longer campaign, obviously. It's not always possible for, like, Adventure League, but it's for a longer campaign, the one that you're running with your friends. It's a great way to create a villain that you know is going to get under the skin of your character and that they're going to hate. My process of uh, making a villain is watching TV shows and movies, just extracting a character that I enjoy. I look at a lot of these characters, especially... uh, portrayed by uh, Johnny Depp he's a little bit he's a little bit kind of portrays these crazy characters a lot of the time and um, other TV uh, shows series the originals uh, I would mention Klaus is a perfect villain I will just extract his personality and play a little bit with the motives change the race change the reason change the goal and uh, that's it. I'm connected with a villain. I just extracted it. It's actually time-consuming to create a villain from the ground up so you can connect with them. I'm already connected with so many characters in TV shows and novels. Just take that template and work with it, mm. change it a little bit, and that's it. You've got a villain. It's like we were talking about just before the panel started. Is Some people might be worried, you know, what if someone comes up to me after my game and is like, you built Klaus. Let's maybe discuss originality a little bit. I'd like to add to that point a little bit. There is one of the modules in uh, one of the games, I want to mention it, in Dungeons and Dragons. It's one of the most successful modules, and that is Curse of Strahd. And uh, the reason why this module is very, very successful, I think it's because of the villain. The villain is very relatable. It's kind of a love story. There is some sort of a tyrannical rule. The characters can immediately connect with the villain, but they find out that it is impossible to do things while he's around, so they can try to take him down. Not going into too many spoilers here. But yeah, that's one of the main things why it is a successful module. It's they really worked on the villains, as opposed to many other adventure paths or modules. Uh, saying adventure paths, that's for Pathfinder. They really don't work hmm. on the villains. And if I mention Pathfinder, I'll have to mention also Rise of the Rule Lords. It's very good, especially I think it's around one of the first views, the few ones that came after uh, 3.5. The villains, I'd call them, are, are very compelling. And the story behind them is very, very, very good. Originality is a difficult one. Every story has been told. Every character that you're going to come across is a version of them somewhere else. Every every yeah. character that you, you create is going to have bits of other characters in it. Someone's always going to be able to say, oh, you, is this like Sauron, is it? Or is this like Bane? You're always going to have that. So it's just something that we need to live with. It, it's a combination of like, if you do want to, an easy to understand character, then borrowing directly is great. I find sometimes some of the villains I create in my games, I literally just take bad people from reality and then just oh, try no. and imitate them. Everybody thinks it's hilarious and it actually adds to the fun because now, in a weird way, they're tackling the issues of that character in their own kind of cathartic way. Hopefully not with too much kind of malice. Like as Abduset mentioned, like Curse of, the, Curse of Strahd is very popular. And it is. It's a pastiche on the classic Dracula tale. Mm. It is, what if Dracula was a half fantasy adventure story as opposed Mm. to a gothic horror? And it's popular. So 
I don't think originality, like, yeah, it's everything has been told. If you're going to be using tropes and you're going to be using classic villain imagery, you're going to be creating the sort of characters and villains that people will recognize. Even if they're not 100% on, that they will recognize elements of them because it's social capital. And this is why I wanted to bring it up, because a lot of the people who join us at Comic-Con are new GMs or new players and feel a lot of pressure to be extremely original or to be like the best accent role player that ever accented in life. Yeah, so I just wanted to share that, that nothing is truly original. And as long as your players are having fun and invested, then you are doing it 100% right. One of the best ways I find to make your villain original and to make them a little bit different is to evolve them as your game goes along. As you know, Abdul said, like it's not reality until they've experienced it. And often I find players will, as you said, with the rats, you know, they walk in and they'll have like, oh, these rats are being mind controlled with with little modrons in their minds. And me as a GM going, I didn't think of that. That's a really great idea. I'm yeah. sorry. <laughs> and I make that note. And then that note turns into something that becomes part of the villain. And then later when the players do experience that, they're like, oh, we thought about this all along. Aha, we're so smart. And then they think you were the best GM. You're like, you've been plotting this this whole time. Yeah. And you're like, well, actually, since the name mentioned it, but totally. It's, 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 <laughs> it's kind of the story they want to tell. Mm-hmm. You know, yes. when, they, when they say it's this or it could be this or it could be that. It's the story they want to tell. And mm-hmm. this is really what the game is all about. It's just, it's their story. So you guys yes, want this mind-controlling thing? That, there yeah. it is. <laughs> that sense of payoff when their wild stabs in the dark are, oh, wow, it is actually actually true like we were just joking around and now to our horror we discover that yes he's been giving us nanites this entire time paulin 84 says well i think a character can be evil and still have a code so they might step in when they see needless violence so absolutely it's those nuances no one is just evil for just evilness and then yeah strad was one of the first D modules that introduced some nuance into dungeon building is what hansel says when i create villains I generally do build them sort of relatively from the ground up, bearing in mind I obviously take inspiration from things I read, things I watch, and definitely what the players say as we progress. But how I do it, because I run in a homebrew world, because I don't know all the law of, you know, Forgotten Realms and Rise of the Rune Lords, and that stresses me out. And so I run in a homebrew world where I'm like, vampires, uh, I wouldn't do this, but arguments like, vampires sparkle, because that's what they do. (laughs) And it's my world, so I can make them do that. Is to think what I think would, especially for the big, big bad, is what do I think is an intrinsic problem in the world? and then build the big bad around that to either fight against it or to push that problem further. So for argument's sake, the first season of Dum Dum Die, there used to be an ancient god that ruled the world and then people overthrew it and, you know, locked it away. And then the big bad is just trying to resurface this god. And so I used the world's law to build a villain that I thought would be interesting. So that's a, no another spoilers, way. Carla. No spoilers. <laughs> no spoilers, uh, guys. Well, I mean, you can watch back if you'd like. There's a question here. This is quite interesting. Um, from Lestat version two, is any tips for having two big bads? Two big bads are great. I think it's Chris Perkins on, on one of his videos about villains says that he will look through the monster manual and he'll find a weird pairing of creatures and, and make them the big bad together. 
I feel like that is that is a fantastic idea. Like he mentions a, a dragon with a willow wisp whispering into its ear, you know, or a goblin riding a, a awakened rhino, and the rhino speaks, and the, actually the rhino is in charge, and then the goblin is just kind of you know hanging on and and trying to maintain control, and they, eventually they can split, they can schism. I love that idea, and the, the, you can have fantastic dynamics between creatures and within themselves, and that your players can exploit, you know, so they can you know they can go to the goblin and say, listen. We'll get rid of your rhino problem if you, you know, come with us mm. and help us out. It gives your players options, and it's fun. You know, you know, I want, I want to see a goblin riding a rhino. Come on, who doesn't? I'm not saying I would do it, but it's not saying I wouldn't do it. But I know that there is a a pair of big bads in an adventure path that the payoff in the end is a massive twist to what you've been going through the entire mm. storyline. And I think if you can play off players expectations and that sort of thing so with two villains and two big bads you have that opportunity they're so focused on the one that suddenly out of left field they've got a whole new opponent that they're not prepared for or someone that they thought was the villain actually turns out to be just a lackey so it's definitely something that you can play around with and it gives you interesting opportunities for role playing and storytelling when you've got two characters to play around with as opposed to just one. And they all can also come in at different times, right? So they don't necessarily have to be together all the time. So from what you just said, Stuart, like the Hunger Games, you spend the first three books or movies, if you watch the movies, focused on the one villain, and then right at the end, the secondary villain comes up. So Mm. they can also be concurrently living and doing their machinations but the players can experience them at different times. Well, a classic example is The Hobbit, where for most of the book, you're assuming the villain is going to be Smaug, and then he just does kind of undramatically off-screen, essentially, and now we have the quarter of the book left, and we've now suddenly got to deal with more big bads. Mm. I personally believe, and I see that two villains... Uh, especially if they're running parallel and dropping seeds for both at the same time might actually confuse players. I think it's better to focus on one and having lieutenants and lackeys. These lieutenants can act as mini-bosses, you can call them in video game terms, or uh, kind of a step step towards uh, the big bad, but actually having two and they're also parallel, it tends to confuse players. Should we take care of this guy first? Or now this guy Mm. first? But if the villains are in some sort of an alliance, and that alliance and that organization is considered kind of in one front, then that's fine. That actually can work. Personally, I wouldn't run it that way. There's one adventure, I'm going to have to mention it here, Princess of Apocalypse. It's a great mm-hmm. adventure, but the problem with it, it's called Princes. It's really on the title, Princes of Apocalypse. There's yeah. a lot of them. So that kind of kind of just didn't fit well <laughs> with the whole thing, but it's... It's a great adventure. I was going to use Princess of the Apocalypse as like a good example of how the players can be thrown into conflict between big bads. You as the party are now in the middle of like a war or like a conflict between these big mm-hmm. bads. It can be confusing like, and also it, it can be lengthy because now you, you've spent so much time going one way and now this other big bad is pulling you the other way. As a GM, you would have to balance that out. You'd have to kind of guide your players in a certain direction so that this bad big bad does in the story come after this one or you play like a really high level game and your players have the option of like you know just sorting them all out in whatever order they want and if they're in an alliance it creates an extra dynamic to to the big bad so for me having extra big bad isn't necessarily so bad 
and I just wonder, it sounds like Princes of the Apocalypse, I've never played it, where there's two warring factions and you as the adventuring party are sort of just being tossed along like a piece of driftwood, or if you have spent so much time and so much investment in something and you resolve the big bad, big bad one, and then I'm just like, cool, on to two. There's no space for um, agency, and there's no space for, you know, celebration. Like, we need to reward players once they've achieved something. Like, I understand your campaign is not going to have the same big bad necessarily for the entire campaign, but there does need to be a time to be like, you have achieved and something more than just let's level your characters up. It's like... You've done something in this world. Princes of the Apocalypse, there are four big bads. And once you've dealt with one, there is a shift in power with the others. So that okay. celebration, that reward that you're getting is discovering this new shift in power and how the dynamic works now. And like, oh, look what we did. We managed to carve out this new world and this new power structure within the remaining three. If you are interested in playing like bigger games, bigger political games, you know, almost like critical role, they start to affect the, the fate of countries, mm. then multiple big bads are a necessity. Okay, so here's my question. If you are running a big game, and also, thanks Hansel for following, that big game where the big bads are countries or giant gods and monsters, how do you make the players feel like they have agency against that villain? When, you know, arguments sake you're storming a castle and there's 20,000 other NPCs that are storming said castle with you. How do you give players agency when the world is, and the villain is so vast? I know I've dealt with this before when we played Kingmaker games. So when you've got those sort of mass battles where your players are just one in a thousand, it's all about making them the exception. So... While everyone else is busy storming the castle from the front, your players are sneaking in the back. They're using all those skills they've gained, all that trust, all that knowledge to basically be special forces. So they're going in, they're fighting those big important battles while everyone else is raging around them. And whether if you want to have those battles going on around you affect how successful your players are or how successful your players are affect those battles, that's up to you. I know that's what we do, we've done in Kingmaker where our players are high level, they're exceptional characters and they're the ones that are affecting the flow of the battle. They're not just individual mm. pawns on a battlefield. Mm. They're, they're the queens on the chessboard as opposed to just being the pawns anymore. So they're the exception. They're the big cogs that are turning the wheels. So mm. that's how you keep the agencies. You you remind them that they're the exception to the rule. They're not just your everyday soldier in the army or your everyday little tinker mage and stuff like that. Going back a little bit to the, to the villains and designing a villain, the villain really needs to present a credible threat. And for a credible threat, you need necessary heroes that matter. And yep. here's, what, here's when the PCs actually matter in these uh, battles. But if we're talking about the big battles and the, you know, the siege battle and how it's uh, it happening with... Uh, exactly, I agree with what Stuart's saying. The big battle needs to be in the background. As a non-war gamer, personally myself, I don't play war games. I don't think it is necessary to run big battles. All no. you need is description. And you can just run it encounter by encounter. Fine, this is the lieutenant and his guards. Take him down. Uh, keep pushing, keep pushing. There's the commander, the commander retreat, follow him. The commander is releasing certain uh, dogs or certain uh, animals on you so you can you, you stop you know, following him. And then you just run it encounter by encounter while the two armies are fighting. 
they win against the commanders, their army wins. They lose against the commanders, everybody retreats, and the bad guys win. The players are still alive, and they can plot further and further. But all these mass battle rules, all that kind of stuff, you really don't need it for an RPG right. session. It takes yeah. way too much time. And I've, mm. I've been with DMs who have changed their ways, but if in, in certain games that I've played, there was 20 minutes of NPCs fighting NPCs. And that was <laughs> not necessary at all. NPCs, you can just narrate. You can have one NPC that is fighting, attacking another NPC. That's fine. That's one action. Two rounds, not a problem. But if you have 20 units around the PCs while the players are just waiting for things to happen, you're doing something wrong there. Yeah, yeah you're kind of playing with yourself. <laughs> Maybe that also touches on how do you give players agency, but also how do you make players care? And when you're involved in a story, you care about the story. I know of a GM who played a Legend of the Five Rings, which is um, samurais and all about honor and very political. And he basically jailed all the players and had the big bad monologuing and discussing the politics going around the, the players. Like my, one of my friends was playing and he's like, well, I don't even really know. Like I sort of play on my PC while it's happening because we're not doing anything. I just go, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> and so, yeah, it creates agency and spaces for your players to be special and have change. And they must care about it. In the background, you can say, the wall has fallen, so now your reinforcements are coming. So if you can last five more rounds, or you need to get him in five rounds because he's going to run away, because he knows if reinforcements are coming. You can mm -hmm. use it as background effects. Absolutely. Yeah. So yeah, as Abdul says, your, your villain has to be a credible threat. And for your players to have that agency, your players need to be the ones the only ones that can take care of it. You lose a lot of like enjoyment. Like it's a, it's a big problem people find with settings like Forgotten Realms, where your players are really just small fry compared to a mm -hmm. lot of the heroes, and it comes down to well, why are we the only heroes that can take care of this? And so you kind of you need that credible threat that your players can take care of, that your players have understood. They've grown up with this villain. They've leveled up with this villain, so they know what's what's going on. They know the risks involved. Wednesday from chat is saying she knows what we mean. So for her Witcher campaign, she allowed what her players had done throughout the campaign to determine the results of the war and which side the players ended up fighting on and pushing forward. Also at I am Averick, thanks for the follow. Oh, question. This is a good one. And I think we're going to end on this one from Boomer 1992. Did you ever connect immerse so much into a villain that it scared you? Personally, it did happen to me. And it was it was scary. It was scary to be in character for that long. And I even imitated the voice, voicing mm. my DM's voice, my normal voice in the villain. And wait, guys, I need to stop here for a second. And just, <laughs> let's, take a, let's take a few minutes break because I things are not not very clear right now. I, I, because it was it was a very very intense moment, and uh, there was a lot of emotions happening. And uh, this this villain was one of the most memorable in, uh, to my players who played uh, in, that, in that game. It was a pirate game. And uh, he was a terrible, terrible guy, a complete sociopath. Uh, but they refused to kill him. And I was amazed by why they even let him live throughout the whole campaign. He was the villain that you, you as, as a player, don't want to kill because you just enjoy having him around. <laughs> 
it was strange to me as 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 a, as a dungeon master to actually have players not wanting to kill the big the bad guy. That's that's kind of it. Just it did happen to me, and it was kind of a little bit. Uh, it's, it was kind of funny, but I had to take a few minutes break, and then uh, everything was fine. So uh, that 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 a villain that really it was it was scary. It was a scary character. I think I've been lucky in that regard that I haven't managed to connect. I haven't connected with villains like on that sort of level. But like I can understand where it can come from. Like you've built up this compelling character. They've been with you the entire game as as well as your players. So they get a bit of part of you inside them. Mm. So it's I can understand how it would be possible to connect with a villain on that sort of level. I haven't played a campaign that's long enough with one villain throughout to connect with them on the same level that I would connect with myself as a as a player. Like there are characters that as a as a player I've connected with that still live inside me, you know. Their voices still float around and I like what would what would Scribbler do? What would Copernic do? You know, like how would those other characters react in this scenario? But as a villain, uh, not not yet. Wednesday says uh, she doesn't think it's a bad thing to connect with the villain as a GM. I I agree. Um, it's the same as being very connected to your player character. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I absolutely agree. Um, I just think the problem comes where, and I've also had a GM do this, where you refuse to let people deal with your big bad because you're just yeah. so in love with it, the big bad. And you're like, he escapes. Then it becomes very much like when you were playing pretend as a child. And I was like, I hit you with fireball. And you're like, you can't because I'm like immune to fireballs. And then I'm like, yeah. okay, I hit you with ice. And you're like, no, I'm also like, you. I'm immune to everything. I've got diamond armor on. Diamond, diamond. armor. You can't, yeah, I'm yeah. in the safe zone. You can't touch me. <laughs> You'd really want your players to. I mean, that character, I wanted him to die. <laughs> for many <laughs> sessions and I've given them every reason to kill him but as a character I had to stick with him because he doesn't want to die I as mm. a DM can't interfere can't do that yeah. I have to play the character how it is but it, it is it, it, the, the, there was there was one question about what if your characters get rid of your uh, big bad guy early on and personally my, my answer is just let it go yeah. You've made that character. You can make other characters. Just let it go, have them celebrate the win, and just do something else. Yeah. They've done their job as the heroes. They've yeah. taken care of the big bad. The story isn't over just because the villain that you had planned out is gone. Your players will never know that that villain was meant to carry on and try in the world. Someone else picks up the legacy. Someone else does yeah. something else. And then just yeah. give, give them, like you said, Carla, earlier on as well. Give them that downtime of celebration. It's really important. It's just just hammering them with a villain after villain after bad guy. You feel you feel a little bit railroaded, and it's not a good yeah. it's not a good feeling. Mm -hmm. Everybody loves to fight a good lich at the end. <laughs> <laughs> when in doubt, give them a lich. Paulin is saying the end battle I think must be worthwhile, and not just was that it like Game of Thrones. <laughs> I mean, that's what everyone wanted, right? Oh, that was it. Watcher81 says, if you connect with your villain, that's because it's a character, not a cardboard cutout of evilness. I like that. Yeah. Our one <laughs> subscriber has resubscribed for 10 months, and we usually do a little dance. So I'm going to have to ask you to do a five-second dance party for Plague Crafters, who has subscribed for 10 months. <laughs> Thank you guys so, so much. Where can people follow you, find out more if you if you have games? Wink, wink. Where can they join the games or watch your games? How can they support your amazing evilness? So um, you can follow me on Twitter. My handle's the Stuart underscore 
H, and it's Stuart with a U-A-R-T. I'm also on the Dum Dum Die Discord. Um, I occasionally advertise games for myself and friends that we're running. Obviously, with the Rona, it's all online at the moment, but otherwise I run one-off games generally at our friendly local game stores in Durban. So you can always find me there. And yeah, you can find me on Twitter or the Discord. As for me, you can find me on uh, Instagram. My handle is DM4Life. And also uh, you can find a lot of other enthusiasts in my country here, but also online for everybody else to join. Uh, since COVID, we've just expanded to uh, the, the, the vast reaches of the world. It's a Qatar tabletop RPG community. We run, uh, we run games. We uh, we have a lot of DMs there. We have a lot of GMs, and everybody is just uh, uh, great in uh, in our little community. On the Discord server for Dum Dum Die, uh, great, great place, great place to be here. Yeah, I have to give the Qatar DM community like uh, a shout out. That's a really great bunch of people, um, and yeah, uh, been playing with Abdul for many years, and it's been absolute pleasure and a privilege, and yeah, lots of fun there. You can find me on very a nascent uh, Instagram page called zania.geekery. A few friends of mine, actors from, from Cape Town, have created a um, actual play D&D video podcast and it's going to be launching on YouTube in the middle of October. It's going to be called Zania and the Legends of Storm's Eye. Catch us there. But for now, for any other further updates, we're only on Instagram for now. As I said, we're still, we're still growing. We're still making those things happen. So zania.geekery on Instagram and then later on YouTube. Yeah. Zania with a Z. Yes, so, Narnia with a Z. Yeah, so Zania. I'm Carla. You can find me on Dum Dum Die, spelled D-U-M-D-U-M-D-I-E, on all the socials. Uh, we're here every Tuesday playing our actual play. Um, it's interactive, so chat can get involved. Thank you so, so much for being here, and we hope you have an amazing weekend filled with adventure. <laughs>